Welcome to episode six of the Speditorial Podcast with Mesa Public Schools. Justin Ashley, Director of Compliance and Content, and my boy Leroy, right here. Look at this guy. Got it for my birthday. My birthday was the 26th. My staff gave me some fun items to play around with. Got some candy in this piece right here. He's going to hook me up later, and you can see that sign, the happy birthday sign. Thanks, staff, for putting my office together. At least it wasn't as bad as last year, because last year looked like a party threw up everywhere. Let's get into some reminders and questions um, that have been coming in the last few weeks. It's been a lot, so get ready for it. Keep up. Welcome to our podcast. Our what? Our podcast, the Mesa Public Schools Special Education Speditorial Podcast. This will be like reading a newspaper, but you're not reading a newspaper because you're just listening. Listening to you drop some jokes and drop some knowledge. This will be entertainment for your ears. Now, how was that for an intro? Nailed it. AT. Hi. Welcome back. Put Leroy this way. Right there. He's chilling. Hanging on my desk. Having a good old time. Uh, yeah. How's everyone doing? Hopefully we're surviving, thriving, living, loving, learning, all that stuff. We are in November now, very close to Turkey Day. Yum, excited for that. Let's get into some of those reminders that I've been seeing as I've been doing my job, right? Uh, records, send in your records, okay? They need to be in within 10 days of the scheduled IEP or MET meeting. If it's a MET IEP meeting together, they need to be sent in together. Signatures. Go to those FAQs, figure out what needs a physical signature and what does not. I am tired of those emails about what needs a signature and what does not. It's on the FAQs. T, please pull it up, special education website. Log in using your credentials. Go to the Synergy SE support, FAQs on the bottom of that screen that populates. It should be a Google Sheets. There's items for METs, IEPs, preschool, and resources. Use that, please. That's where I put all of the information so you can always find it. And it's a running record, so I'm going to keep a whole list of all of those good questions that come through. Post them to there. Check them. Agendas. Been hearing throughout the district we're not having agendas for IEP meetings. Why? Why aren't we having agendas? We should have an agenda. Don't you want to know what's going to be discussed? I would. I also put that time in there. Again, if you're going to have someone from district come to that meeting, they are pulled in a lot of different directions, right? They need to know the time, the time frame, how long they have to be there for so they can schedule another meeting when, after they leave. Use those agendas. T, pull this up. Special education website. Log in using your credentials. Go to forms. Go to agenda. A, agenda. Use it. It's what they're there for. Teams should know what they're going to be discussing. Done. Next item. You keeping up? Gustavia, you listening? 
know you're listening. Gustavia is our secretary for our Student Services Center. If anyone was wondering, you don't know, now you know. IEP meetings the day of the due date. What is happening? You should always be scheduling the meeting beforehand, at least two to three weeks beforehand. I don't know where, there's a disconnect coming from somewhere. T, put all those eras from somewhere. We need to figure out where it's coming from. You don't hold the meeting of the IEP due date. You hold it two or three weeks before. So what happens if the parent or team member cancels or can't show up? Then you're out of compliance. Use your head. Before, two to three weeks before, schedule that meeting. PWN reminders. <sighs> it's like I don't know which battle to really head because there's so many different issues with some of our documents. Our PWNs need to get better. When I see or Heidi sees one or two items discussed, oh, it must have been the fastest IEP meeting in the history of IEPs. We need to explain detailed description of everything that's discussed in the meeting, right? Right? Okay, so have someone take notes for you during that meeting. Designate someone to do that so you can remember what was discussed. Every IEP tab should have an items proposed or considered. We're not doing it. That needs to be detailed. Here's why. If by chance, and it's a slim possibility, but if by chance, one of your students goes to like a due process and the parents are very upset with you because something happened, what does the lawyer look for first? I'll give you a hint. It begins with a P, ends with an N. P-W-N. That's what they look for first. Then they'll look at the IEP. That's a lot of our issues right there, guys. They need to be detailed. They need to be descriptive exactly what happened. Okay? Okay. Those are all my reminders. So I'll get off my little soapbox. Do I feel a little agitated? Here's a little bit. Just a little bit. Does Justin need another vacation? Yeah, a little bit. Just a little bit. But now that I got that out of the way, let's shift to those questions. Let's get into the top five. D, air five. <laughs> top five with me. Here we are. Okay. Question I got from a psychologist, and it was a great question because we really haven't revisited it. Eligibility question. If a student qualifies for MD or MDSSI, do I have to fill out every single eligibility um, form in Synergy? And that was past practice. We decided over the summer, um, Kristen, myself, Kristen Lilly, decided that's not necessary. So all you have to do is fill out the MD or the MDSSI form, eligibility form, and then in that form, state the eligibilities that that student would qualify, qualify for to have MD or MDSSI. Saves a little bit of paperwork and time for our school psych, so hopefully that's a win. Okay, next question, question four. Our OT and PT have been putting 
indirect services in our related services, shouldn't that go in section H? So that changed just a little bit. That's a really great question because I didn't put out guidance because I didn't think it would be a question that a special ed teacher would ask, but I'm very happy that you asked because that makes me feel like you're actually reading the IEP of what the other providers are putting in, so thank you. Yes, we put in OT and PT have an indirect service time now listed in the related services section. We did that so that our great Cindy Hartman can pull queries on her OTs and PTs as to which ones are providing consult indirect services and which ones we're providing direct services. That way she can manage her caseloads. So it's a good question, but didn't put guidance out, but you heard, it. you heard it, here it is, there it is, got it. Got the question, got the answer. Question three, do you have a sample IEP to reference? And the director's team has gone back and forth on this. I don't personally feel like we should be offering sample IEPs, but I can do you one solid. If you go back to those FAQs that I mentioned before in my little rant that I had, there is a sample IEP document. It's about six pages. T and I put it together and it tells you the specifics of what need to be added in those specific IEP areas. So we did do that, use that, Give me feedback, let me know what you think. We're still tossing around the idea of developing an IEP for reference. My only issue with that is that some teachers may use some of the items that are input in that IEP and then put it in their own IEP. I'd say that wouldn't happen, but it might. Question two. Uh, Kayla Whitney from Taylor had asked this question, and it was a good question, and it's based on the previous podcast, and it had to do with the PWNs. And this one had to do with, um, it was amendment specific. So she had asked if PWN amendments had to have all of those components that I mentioned earlier. Remember the medical tab, PLAF, special considerations, the goals, services, so on and so forth, accommodations, testing, LRE. And the answer is no. For amendments, because you're targeting a specific area, your PWN may be one box, but it could be one, two, three, or four, depending on how many items you are amending in that IEP. So it just depends on that component. Those may be a little bit shorter. So Kayla, there's your answer. I already emailed you, but get in again. And then our last question one. Question one. It's a good question. Um, because frankly, I forgot, and Linda Rennie, I think that's how you say her last name, I think she's over at Pomeroy, she asked this, and I had to go to Lindsay Massey, because she oversees Mower, Move On One Reading, and Linda just asked, hey, where do I indicate the Mower statement? Where do I put that? And the answer is, in the PLAF, in the needs section, and it also needs to go in the PWN. Got it? Got it. Those were our five questions that have been coming through. <sighs> Good ones. Good questions. Let's get into that question that I posed last week, which I don't think anyone got right except for Amy Anson, and I can't give Amy Anson a gift because that would be just crazy. 
but um, it's just because we didn't update this one component of the implementation guidelines. We updated the wrong one. So now that they've been updated, I'm still going to give a prize to the person because that would be the second step, and technically they would have been right if they were looking at implementation guidelines. But the question was, if a parent wants to revoke or withdraw their child from special education, what is the first thing you must do as the case manager? The correct answer that only Amy Anson got right is you must contact the area director first. They're going to be your first line of defense. They're going to want to contact the parent or guardian and let them know of the issue that may happen once we revoke services and services stop. Typically they'll intervene and parents will rescind that revocation. They say, nah, never mind, we're going to have special education services, but there is a small chance that they will say, revoke them. You want your area director to be there first, okay? Then the second would be to start that PWN, withdrawal of services. We'll need that signature from the parent saying they're revoking services, all that good stuff, which is on ad hoc, okay? And all of these people got it right, and I'm going to list their names right now. You got Carolyn Zachrocki, Lisa Rayfield, Susan Agliardo, Brenda Hook, Katie Copeland, Chris Soto, who's my special education clerk, so Chris Soto, uh, Joe Jeffers, who's an instructional coach, Suzanne Pratt, and then the great Amy Anson. But because they said do the PWN withdrawal and explain to the parent, all that good stuff. I'm giving it to Joan Marcinko. Hi, I'm Joan. Congrats, Joan. Get a little gift coming your way soon. You had that answer. Um, but moving forward, the correct answer is area director. Get your area director involved so that they can intervene. Okay? Okay. Still getting out a prize because I am nice. And everybody loves me. Only in my head. Okay. <laughs> so, next question. Sorry, I'm shaking the table. Gotta stop. Gotta step away. Just trying to be real clear because Lindsay Massey and Carrie Carson said they could barely hear me last time. So I hope I'm a little bit louder this time because I hate doing this podcast on my district device. The sound is terrible, so I use my Mac. And I just figured out, guys, I just figured out how to dis, uh, turn on my Do Not Disturb. Yep. So it was a great day for me. <laughs> Next question that I'm posing to you. And the person that gets the correct answer will say it's fourth in my inbox. We'll get that prize. And the question is, it's pretty easy. I think most of us will know this. If a student already has a Medicaid consent form on file, do I need to obtain another one? Thoughts? So yes or no, you got a 50-50 shot. For fourth person in my inbox, the correct answer gets that prize, okay? Before I sound off, I just want to give a shout out to Kerr for letting me come onto your campus with Lindsay Massey and discuss a little EL sped sitch that was going on. It's very nice to see a lot of you there. Um, and it was really cool to see some of those pigs. If you haven't been to Kerr, you haven't seen the pigs, go. Super cute. Madison, thank you. Katie Copeland, Laura Hickey, 
And, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Maybe I should send her a prize. She's brand new there and I went to help her with an IEP and I can't remember. That's where my brain's at. Unknown teacher, I will get you something because I forgot your name, so I apologize. But I did help you with that IEP. Hope that you uh, knocked that IEP meeting down and you took it on and you had that uh, IEP meeting request and the agenda ready to go, okay? Um, I was in Katie Copeland's classroom in Madison and I read a book. The video for that of me reading, I know, I can read, I can read. It was a picture without, a book without pictures, I think that's what the book was called. And I read it to her class and the class and I had a really great interaction. So that video will be posted on the newsletter that's coming out with this podcast. So if you want to see me teach to kids, by all means, see how I read. And then I also want to thank Taylor, specifically Laura Sandoval. Thanks for letting me come into your classroom, provide some training on IEP development. Appreciate you um, and appreciate the time that we spent together trying to figure out which report to pull from Fastbridge. We figured it out thanks to Alicia Holt. Took us a bit, but we got there. We're all learning, right? I need to go on, I need to get more of a training on Fastbridge, I think, just so I can help teachers uh, input some items into the PLATH. Um, I believe the report that teachers want so they can put in the PLATH is the Individual Skills Assessment Report. So try to check that out if you can on your students. So you can put data in your IEPs, which is what I want to see. Okay, that's it for this podcast. Appreciate everybody listening. Almost Thanksgiving. I'm out.